0: Pluralism and rights are under threat across the world, from communal violence, authoritarianism, and religious identity politics. How is the Middle East attempting to create more inclusive rights and citizenship? This podcast is part of Citizenship and Its Discontents, an initiative from the Century Foundation with support from the Henry Luce Foundation. Our research explores new approaches to rights, identity, and belonging in order to shift the policy debate about inclusion and pluralism. In the Middle East and around the world. Welcome to the TCF World Podcast. This is Thanasi Kambanis. I'm joined on this rainy afternoon uh, by Maria Fantapier and Kale Saleh. And uh, we're talking about some of the research they've done uh, on youth politics in Iraqi Kurdistan. And we're going to talk about that research as well as some of the bigger questions. Uh, that their work raises uh, of trying to understand the significance of youth as a category in politics and uh, uh, continuity and change uh, in politics. So I think to start off, Kala, uh, would, would you lead us through uh, your your sort of grand, narr- your master narrative of, of change and resistance to change in politics? Uh, Uh, in dynastic uh, politics in Iraqi Kurdistan.
1: Sure. So we, in this piece, take somewhat of a historical approach. So we look historically at the turnover between different kinds of leadership, mainly focused on Iraqi Kurdistan, although we also have some examples from other regions, other Kurdish regions, such as in Iranian Kurdistan. And we, we look at the conditions that have enabled these transitions from an old kind of leadership and an old order defined by a an old vision of Kurdish nationalism to a new one and how that mobilizes different sectors of society. And what we found is that often in these transitions there was a, it was necessary for these would-be reformists or these, these people who wanted to replace old loyalties to the traditional leaders to develop alliances with certain sectors of society. That's the middle class that was very important and usually also the younger generation. And what we do is after sort of looking at this historical arc of transitions and turnovers, we try to understand why in Iraqi Kurdistan today, despite the fact that it is the most autonomous Kurdish region, you have a stalled transition. So you have the old order persisting and a new order struggling to emerge. And one of the things that we look at is um, the inability of, of... the would-be reformists in Iraqi Kurdistan today to develop those kinds of alliances that are necessary with the younger generation, with the middle class, and and other key sectors of society.
0: Is there something definitional about, uh, you're talking about a transition, you're talking about renewal, Uh, what does youth have to do with it? Can't other old people supplant old people with new ideas or new uh, reformists or even Repressive and regressive, but new and different uh, modes of, of governance.
1: Absolutely, I think youth are one of the components that we found in previous gen- uh, in previous transitions to have been very relevant to um, enabling reformists to create a new kind of. Um, mobilization that then replaces and supplants these old loyalties, but not the only component. So they tend to be um, an important factor, and today in Iraqi Kurdistan, I would say they're particularly important just given demographics. They're, they make up a large sector of, of today's uh, society. And, and just to add to this, I think what's also important about the younger generation today in Kurdistan is that they have a very different generational experience than the former generation. So the former generations defining political experience was the armed struggle against Saddam Hussein's regime, whereas today the younger generation has largely come of age in the post-2003 era and doesn't define its doesn't doesn't connect so well with a narrative of Kurdish nationalism that's built around a repressive opposition to a repressive regime in Baghdad.
0: So let's uh, spell out uh, either of you what are what what are the big defining differences between a a, po- a post-2003. Kurd and, and a pre-2003 Kurd from their whether it's their from their experience or also their view of, of themselves and their position in in Iraq's polity.
1: It's not to say that young people in Iraqi Kurdistan are liberal or support democracy, and that older people support the old order. It's not to say that. It's to say that they have different defining political experiences, which which creates some intergenerational tension because it defines their relationship to Kurdish nationalism differently. So the former generation subscribes more so to this vision of Kurdish nationalism that's very much, as I said, around opposition to a repressive regime in Baghdad and increasingly, especially today, around this question of of statehood. Whereas for the new generation, I think the idea of statehood is not necessarily the be-all and end-all well, of Kurdish nationalism. And, and
0: let's spell out, because maybe not all our listeners are as, as uh, steeped in the, uh, the details of this history as, as, as we are, uh, for m- maybe the better part of a century, the, the generations of, of, of Kurds were defined by the experience of armed struggle against, uh, against states and, and also uh, denied language rights denied some pretty basic abilities to organize and, and be themselves so may, maybe Maria you, you, you can
2: yes, you I can give some uh, also some, some historical context on uh, what is the generational ex- how the generational ex- experience uh, of the current uh, of the established leadership differs from the um, from the younger generation uh, experience well um, as you mentioned uh, first of all it's a generation who... Um, uh, who has fought uh, resistance um, uh, against uh, um, a repressive government? So um, they were first fighters in the mountain. They ma- Many of them actually they are they have a past as uh, Kurdish fighters, as we call them Peshmerga, and then they evolved into politicians. So um, uh, they the, and this happened um, uh, after the, the 1991 uh, war i mean kurdistan basically started its process of getting autonomous because it was an no flight zone over kurdistan and uh, and therefore uh, the resistance sort of those one who had fought the resistance they became actually those one who founded the kurdistan uh, regional autonom- the kurdistan region in some way so the, the first institutions for example uh, starting from the political parties that Um, uh, in which these fighters were engaged, they established also the first institutions such as a parliament, for example, with the 1992 um, uh, parliamentary um, elections. And then they also developed an embryonic system of institutions across the entire uh, territory of Kurdistan. So these generations of um, the current leaders, let's say, are the founders of Kurdistan. Um, uh, and uh, while on the opposite, you have a, um, a, um, uh, on the other hand a younger generation who has grown up in an already autonomous region after 2003, because after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, then and after 2005, constitution, Iraqi constitution, um, uh, Kurdistan um, it became uh, a self uh, self autonomous region, self autonomous regions with the, their own government. And again, also the institutions such as the parliament, the executive, the the cabinet was established and all that. So um, uh, the younger generation grew up in this system where this system was already established. So in in a way, um, they were privileged. Uh, If you ask anyone of the older generation, they will say say that they were privileged because they grew up in a largely peaceful uh, region. Uh, but uh, also, these younger people, they did not uh, have the chance to be part of that history of Kurdistan. And that makes the problem, ha- actually, that they still cannot find the avenues to be f- part of this chapter of Iraqi Kurdish history.
0: So this uh, this reminds me a little bit of the, the way people talk about Americans born after the so-called greatest generation, the sort of people born after the heroic narrative of World War II who ended up feeling adrift because they didn't have some grand unifying cause. Uh, in, in the way you two talk about your your research in Kurdistan, though, one of the other things that jumps out at me is uh, language rights and education, where uh, the, the people even my age in their, in their mid-40s who grew up in Kurdistan all speak Arabic. Many of them spent a lot of their, their time or education or work life in uh, Arabic-speaking Iraq, uh, whereas people who are 20 uh, might have – might not even speak a word of Iraq of, of Arabic which is a, a, a major change uh, what what's the significance of that and how has that changed the way the post two thousand and three generation views their connection to uh, to Iraq or Arab Iraq or or even I mean how do they how do they what terms do they use for that um I
1: think there's no question that the current, that the new generation has grown up in an Iraqi Kurdistan where they enjoy far greater cultural, linguistic, and human rights um, as Kurds in Iraq. Um, So as you say, they've largely been educated in Kurdish. Um, And one of the consequences of this that we kind of try to explore in this report is how not just, I mean, it's not just about connections between the younger generation and the in, in Iraqi Kurdistan and the younger generation in Arab Iraq, although that's that's definitely there's more of a disconnect there than I think there was historically, but also between these reformists or would-be reformists in Iraqi Kurdistan and reformists in Arab Iraq. So we talk, in, for instance, in the paper about how historically. This was an important connection, for instance, between the Iraqi Communist Party and Kurdish Communists to have this connection and, and help each other kind of mobilize in a way. Now you don't see those connections, even if there are sort of similar demands in Arab Iraq and in Iraqi Kurdistan um, around, uh, around demanding a new kind of leadership that has, an, and sort of demands around anti corruption and better governance and things like this. You don't have as much of a connection between the two. So the, the new generation, I think, is potentially, I don't know if you'd agree, Maria, but potentially more isolated than their predecessors were.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. They are more isolated because um, they have grown up into um, a region where they speak Kurdish and they don't necessarily uh, speak uh, Arabic or read Arabic. So they read different, uh, um, uh, the, the, it's even practically diff- difficult to establish connection with the, Uh, Arabs who are probably thinking the same of their leadership, but uh, they do not necessarily have the, um, the possibility actually to have this exchange. Um, I will also draw the attention to not only the language barrier but also to the securitized environment of the post-2003 in which these younger people, not only Kurdish youth but also Iraqi youth as a whole, actually lived in. Um, I mean, after the invasion and and slightly also during the embargo, but most importantly, I mean, after the invasion, you have a situation where really even mobility between one area of, for example. Like that in any another area, it's becoming impossible, and you have very little, I mean, possibility or like uh, um, to to have people going maybe for, from Kurdistan to the other part of the country because of the. I mean, practically you can, but of course the security situation uh, makes it uh, like very very difficult to to and I mean to do such a trip in the, w- without uh, uh, undergoing I mean security problems. Uh, or, um, and of course, the entire climate of the post-2003 is also a climate of ethnic and sectarian tension. So all that has definitely discouraged uh, people to uh, to move from one area to another. It has disconnected people. So now we have a situation where um, even if Kurdish youth and Arab youth, probably they think, uh, they have they share the same feeling of discontent and disaffection vis-a-vis of their leadership, in reality, they do not actually connect to mobilize against it. Plus also now, after 2005, um, uh, after the region, I mean, after Kurdistan became, uh, according to the constitution, a self-autonomous region, um, in, in Kur- Kurdish people, they, they, they held accountable their own leaders, not the Iraqi leaders. Um, and this is a major difference, of course. So if there is a demonstration in Kurdistan, people do mobilize against their own leaders and not necessarily against the, the Baghdad leadership. So you might have demonstration in Sulaymaniyah, which is the eastern part of, uh, northeastern uh, part of Iraq in Kurdistan. And you have demonstration uh, at the same time, maybe in, in Basra, which is the southern governorate, Arab governorate of Iraq. Probably demanding both, uh, made of the same constituencies, young people demanding both similar same similar type of issues, people, same
0: demands, same and no demands no but no connection.
2: <laughs> Um, and to add just the last element, uh, even within Kurdistan people are disconnected, young people or even middle class, I mean people who will actually protest, uh, they're disconnected among each other between different areas which are dominated by different political parties or that they are um, uh, yeah, dominated by different leadership and therefore uh, the, the, the disconnection is not even something that uh, it's valid for just Kurds and Arabs but even within Kurdistan.
0: Citizenship and its Discontents is a Century Foundation initiative that brings together dozens of researchers to explore identity, inclusion, and community in the contemporary Middle East. Our contributors conducted extensive fieldwork in the region and aim to open a new line of discussion in the Middle East and among Western policymakers. To see our research and join the discussion, please visit the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org, and click on the Citizenship tab. You'll find our research reports, interviews, podcasts, videos, and more. A couple of, of things that leap out at me, both in reading, in reading your work and in hearing what you're, what you're talking about, uh, this stalled transition you talk about in the sort of a, a failure to renew the, the sense of purpose or the, the master narrative of, of this community. One is the, the, the unique... Problems that young people in that space face. So, like every everyone faces a common set of problems, and then young people have an extra set of problems, which which have to do with their double disenfranchisement from patronage networks or their complete lack of access to power, as opposed to maybe their 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 peers, uh, class peers who are older. Um, and and the other is is the sort of ideological uh, uh, question that 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 I think looms by implication in what you're talking about, which is that this old class of, of, of Peshmerga rebels who are the the royalty, as it were, of, 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 of Kurdish life can't find a way to keep power but at the same time expand the narrative to make room for other people. People who didn't fight with them in the mountains, basically, which no one has since Let's say the early 1990s, so it's a dwindling number of, uh, of, of these men who sort of qualify to be part of, of this. and maybe you don't you, you want to dispute the characterization of this as royalty. but un, un, unpack this, unpack this for me and, and to the extent you can, tell me how this is uni- like a unique constellation of problems in this in this particular canton that's had this very unique uh and special trajectory
2: the first part because also i think it's quite important to say that this um, um, what we call the established leaders uh, it's uh, a sort of something that should be a bit better defined i mean the current leadership that 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 you refer to as royalty definitely there is a family-based element inside it but also this is a vote and definitely there is a generational element if you look at the police bureau, um, uh, the, the age, the, the the average age of the police bureau members of the main two Kurdish party, the Kurdistan Democratic Party, the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, you will have generally, uh, a, I mean, older pe- people from the older generation. So there is a family element, there is a generational element, uh, there is, uh, however. Uh, there is an, a tribal element, uh, um, but there is also uh, more and more also a network element. I mean, these people are, um, uh, I mean, these people are also this this established leadership it's um, uh, it's also uh, including more and more even younger people but uh, who are very much clones to the older in some in to, to some extent people who are benefiting from the um, uh, um, from controlling certain of the security and economic resources of the country and not actually building up and strengthening the institutions of Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, and um, so it's very important actually to get also beyond this very promoted idea that is just about uh, family-based uh, business. It's or it's just about all generation. It's a combination of variables there. And so I will say it's an oligarchia. Uh, that uh, actually um, uh, controls the economic and the security resources of the region and does not have interest in um, building uh, strong institutions that could actually um, uh, uh, provide to the larger Kurdish population avenues for political participation, governance, uh, because that would necessarily then entail to challenge that will challenge necessarily their power. So that's that's something that I wanted to uh, to, uh, to 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 flesh out. And of course, this is not a dynamic that is only exclusive to Kurdistan. This of a network of an oligarchic network of a, of a caste that dominates politics is even um, so common here in the West. So um, I think it's a general problem of, of politics. Maybe I'll just say something on the
1: Peshmerga, the second element of what you were saying. Um, Something that we look at is how the Peshmerga have kind of lost their historical role as being one of the main vehicles for young people to participate in the national struggle. So back when there was an armed struggle, younger people would rise through the ranks of the Peshmerga to become the new national leaders and eventually found politi- modern political parties and and become the leaders that they are today but today they they haven't really fully made the transition from a guerrilla force to a fully professionalized army and the result is that I mean, even with the fight against ISIS, which should have been an opportunity for the Peshmerga to regain this kind of historical role and become an avenue for young people to again participate in the armed, in some kind of armed struggle and and regain some kind of nationalist credentials, this didn't happen. Um, and we saw how how the Peshmerga remained kind of beholden to the clientelist networks that that we've been talking about. So that's just a, a word on the role of the Peshmerga today and why that that hasn't uh, been an avenue for, for transition to a new order.
0: Nationalism is a, is, is a very live and important idea uh, in, in Kurdistan, and that distinguishes it, I think, from a lot of its neighbors. I mean, in, in, in uh, Arab Iraq, only recently has there been a, uh, an effort to revive uh, or, or, or rejuvenate nationalist discourse as a unifying tool uh, there we mostly hear about sectarianism being the being the operative uh, term uh, it, in Kurdistan. If if everyone is if everyone is a Kurdish nationalist, uh, how much does that mean? And and is, is Kurdish nationalism actually more important than say the tribal affinities of the of the two major ruling families? Or are they basically hiding behind a pretense of nationalism, but in fact ruling as, as as tribal leaders
2: I mean nationalism we have been focusing on the evolution of Kurdish nationalists precisely because we found that uh, um, I mean each uh, if you look at the arc of history of a Kurdish uh, of the Kurdish national struggle since last century up until now every time that there is a new leadership coming. Uh, uh, into a certain areas of the four part of Kurdish populated areas um, that, that can actually bring forward the Kurdish national project, you have also a different vision that comes, that mobilizes the society behind. So in most, uh, most case, for example, we can see in the case of the Mahabad Republic in uh, Iran, um, uh, in, in the Kurdish part of, uh, of current uh, Iran, there was in the uh, uh, 50s, uh, uh, yes, um, the um, uh, the experience where uh, part of the um, I mean part of the urban intelligentsia um, actually allied with the, uh, both the landlords and the part of the of the urban youth and then mobilized and produce a certain type of so that, that that's a
0: historic example of a very interesting ideological experiment that took place yes. in Iranian Kurdistan, which I think you argue has 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 had a, had a, okay. a, a crossover effect. Let's and, talk about and, Iraqi
2: Kurdistan. Well, no, no, mm-hmm.
0: that's mm-hmm. so. Another example I want to bring up are the ideological innovations that are taking place in uh, Syrian and Turkish Kurdistan, mm-hmm. where where okay. YPG yeah. or, or PKK yeah. have. Uh, have managed to at least persuade some people that they have an ideological project that is not nationalist, that has come out of a Kurdish experience, but is uh, almost a sort of neo-socialist, pan-sectarian. Uh, you might not buy it, but it's, it, it's, it's a product that's for sale in the, in the ideological marketplace. I wonder, I mean, you can respond to it, and I wonder how much, if at all, that filters back to Kurds in Iraq who say, yeah? Why aren't our leaders either borrowing these innovations or at least coming up with something better?
2: I would respond to this saying this: uh, each leadership basically came up with the project that uh, could mobilize behind section of the society. Um, if we look at this current leadership in Iraqi Kurdistan, they actually mobilized behind the society in the Kurdish national in the Kurdish resistance that they led um up until the foundation of Kurdistan as a self-autonomous region and that's fine but the point uh, is that then the focus of this leadership remained always the del- delivery of the state of a Kurdish state so we should actually make gains in order to uh, declare a Kurdish state this this uh, these elements of statehood and um, have um, dominated uh, the the debate at the expenses somehow of other elements that were equally important, such as citizenship rights within the Kurdistan region. Uh, therefore, our point is precisely to say that this is where the impasse is. Because this leadership has focused its energy in delivering a state at the expenses of other citizenship rights, therefore it has lost actually touch and reach with certain sections of the population. And um, and therefore, there is a, a sort of uh, sort of gap that is increasing between the current leadership, which cannot deliver a state and cannot deliver citizenship right, and the population. And therefore, we see that in this part of Iraqi Kurdistan, despite there is a lot of there is an, uh, there is um, a great degree of political autonomy that is larger compared to the case of Syria, the, compared to the case of Turkey or, or, or Iran. But still, there is, not a, um, there is not a situation in place where the leadership can actually mobilize the society behind and really advance um, uh, Kurdish nationalism to a, to a point where it can hand it over to younger generation and even deliver a state and a nation both. <laughs> Uh, therefore, I think that we should look at other experiences, probably the experience in Syria, as you mentioned. It's an interesting experience where uh, there might be, uh, despite the, 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 the ongoing conflict, a uh, uh, possibility probably uh, with the two, um, to, to have a condition for uh, at some point building a, a link between... Uh, the, leader, the Kurdish leadership that is running a self-autonomous region there and for part of the population and produce new new type of uh, Kurdish nationalist vision. But in Iraq, that is not going to happen soon, according to our study.
0: Carla, do you see a difference in the way the younger generation views the national project or the, the, the you know, having a... Uh, independent Kurdish nation? And also, do you see a different attitude, uh, generational attitude, between uh, transnational Kurdish solidarity uh, with, between young people as compared to the older generation?
1: Yeah, I would just say first. Um, on the the previous point, I think that what Maria said about this issue of statehood dominating the debate around Kurdish nationalism is really important, and it's also a historical because if you look back at some of the you know party programs and manifestos of new parties that emerged to challenge the old order, um, a lot of these programs and they might have included statehood, but they also included a range of other. Um, of other points, whether it was around socioeconomic rights, cultural rights, linguistic rights. I mean, it was actually like a lot of these parties had a rights based framework. Um, and that's something that I think has been largely forgotten and lost in recent years, in particular since the September 2017 independence referendum, which very much um, made statehood the be all and end all of Iraqi Kurdish nationalism, which has just not historically been the case. Um, You asked me about how the young generation in Iraqi Kurdistan relates to the dominant vision of Kurdish nationalism today, which is very much, as I was just saying, a form of ethno-nationalism that's centered around the question of statehood and that's justified and rooted in this experience of the armed struggle against a repressive regime in Baghdad. Now, for a younger generation that has not experienced a repressive regime in Baghdad and whose day-to-day security is not affected by, by um, or, or at least that they're not threatened in any way by the Iraqi security forces, um, I think that this this vision of Kurdish nationalism is something that they feel quite alienated from because they're dispossessed from it. They, they by definition cannot participate in this vision of Kurdish nationalism because they were not participants in that armed struggle. But it creates a conflict. So Maria and I did interviews with uh, youth across Iraqi Kurdistan before the independence referendum in September 2017 and, and we heard young people almost uniformly saying I would not vote in this referendum, Kurdish nationalism is spoiled for me, Um, It's a project of the the leadership, and we're against the leadership, so we're against independence, we're against nationalism. I mean, really this rejection of it. And then we also have interviews from after the referendum when almost all young people told us that they voted in the referendum. And when you see the numbers, I mean, if we can trust them. So they
0: they held their nose, but they voted in the end.
1: Well, I think what it shows is that that this vision of Kurdish nationalism creates a conflict in Iraqi Kurdish youth. So it creates a kind of double-think in a way, where they've internalized the logic that they've they, of this vision of Kurdish nationalism that they've grown up with since they were young, but they're against it at the same time. And so they're again, and they're against the leadership, and they don't trust the leadership that puts it forward. So it creates a conflict where they can believe two things at once.
0: And you, I mean, you clearly set, set forth this idea that if there's, there's, there's a failure to deliver, that is then that then drives a desire to to rile up support through this ethno-nationalist language, and if. You know, when I when I hear these, these this analysis, I think, well, if this if this leadership were more effective at creating jobs to give away, then they wouldn't have this problem to begin with. They could have their nationalist cake and their eat their patronage too. Uh, but because they're because they're unable to actually govern well, then they resort more and more to this kind of rallying. Uh, yeah,
2: and if they would govern better, there will be other comings probably taking their place. So it's a bit of <laughs> contradiction built in. And uh, uh, so we come back to the point that better institutions do not benefit some elements of this caste because they pose a direct challenge to their power.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much uh, to both of you. This is uh, Maria Fantapier and Kale Saleh talking about their, their research in Iraqi Kurdistan. And you've been listening to the TCF World podcast. TCF World has been brought to you by the Century Foundation, a progressive public policy think tank that seeks to foster opportunity, reduce inequality, and promote security at home and abroad. For more information about the work that TCF does, please visit tcf.org. Or follow us on Twitter and Facebook.